family meeting after. Ten. Welcome to Family Meeting, a Peaky Blinders podcast. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We don't have an opening. No, we don't. We're, uh, it's a pretty, we're, we're going pretty stripped down. Yeah, this is very, in the style of the show. Right. A very bare bones, brotacular, <laughs> uh, situation. So. That's right. We don't go around doing girly things like having intros pre-written or giving out awards at the end. Yeah. We're very manly. Yeah. And we're definitely very violent. <laughs> That's also. right. Oh, yeah. Let's not forget the violence. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you found us through Up Yours Downstairs or The Palm Court, our other podcasts, welcome. Absolutely. If you found us even in a different way, also welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So we'll just be recapping every episode of Peaky Blinders ever. <laughs> That's right. There's only 12 of them yes. so far. <laughs> the third season has been announced. We don't know when. That yeah. is premiering. We, we even we even Googled it, which is a lot of work for us. <laughs> right. That's generally but, not our thing. No, we really... generally like just like to talk about things we don't know during our podcast. Yeah. Because we find it comforting somehow. Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah. Maybe we're just mediocre. <laughs> well, the best damn mediocre podcast in the land. <laughs> There's probably an award for that that we haven't won. <laughs> a potty. Best podcast, mediocre category. <laughs> that's, I mean, th- that seems fair to me. I know. Like, what to, I know. Look, I think mediocrity is important. Yeah. You know, and then there could be a best podcast, shitty, did three episodes and kind of trailed off division. If only we had more time and disposable income. Yeah. Yeah. We say that a lot. I think everybody does, I, yeah, I think that's pretty much true. All right. So I guess uh, let's get into this recap then. Yeah. When we were watching this, I got really mad because Tom was trying to play it on our Chromecast and like it was like the middle of the episode and I was so mad. I was like, this isn't the beginning of the episode. Where's that horse? <laughs> right. Which we'll talk about in a minute. But we will. Yes. But it's it's nice. It's got the uh, like Western typeface on the titles mm-hmm. and things like that. That was, you know, like as soon as we watch it, we're like, oh, wow, this is. This has a very uh, distinct aesthetic, doesn't it? Does. It does, and the yeah. color palette and, you know, the camera angles, it's all very, uh, very flash. Yeah. Um, but also low budget, which I appreciate. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't, It, but it doesn't feel, you know... Yeah, it doesn't feel cheap. Yeah, it's, it's inter- like, it's well carried off to do a period piece that doesn't reflect either cheapness or be like Downton Abbey and just, like, revel in yeah. its expensiveness. Yeah, it's very it's very utilitarian. Yeah. Like the current podcast you're listening to. <laughs> That's right. But it starts off with the showy stuff. There's, you know, babies crying, and we see Chinese people running through a crowded marketplace. Uh, a dude says that they need to hurry up or they will kill us all. So already, stakes. Yeah. Hi. And murder. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, then a young woman goes up to another young woman and asks her if her tits still have milk. Ew! Rosa Sharn flashbacks! Yeah. As we are all aware, I am very anti-breastfeeding. She is. Particularly, look, if you need to, like, keep your baby alive, okay. <laughs> For some reason, you need to keep no your baby alive. But there is no reason to put it ever in literature or movies. <laughs> uh, okay. So that's the Kelly Anakin Manifesto. <laughs> Manabresto. <laughs> but what I like about it is how, like, calm the other girl is. She's like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I get that. Well, this probably happens a lot, a- man. Apparently. You know, these are clearly Chinese immigrants living in England, and they don't have a lot of time. And they don't, you know, there's not a lot of babysitting available. Yeah, they don't have a lot of time. Apparently not that much milk either that yeah. they got to, you know. Well, breast milk, Ration you know, it out. It's, it's not ubiquitous. No, that's true. Anyway, uh, some old guy asks where the younger guy and the uh, girl who gave her baby to the other girl who mm-hmm. has milk in her tits. Like, it was, it's still not clear why she asked it, but there was at least a baby involved. Maybe she thought she would never come back. It, it seems possible. So, yeah, the, uh, the younger guy says that they have asked for her, and the older guy's like, hmm, that means something to me. This scene is really not Stoops helpful. No, it's not. <laughs> But then, ah, there's that horse. Yes. Horses. <laughs> Fun to look at. Not so much to ride. Uh, I am not a fan of riding horses. But in this case, it's Killian Murphy who is riding a horse. 
Yeah. There's going to be a lot on this podcast of me being completely bonkers about Killian Murphy. I mean, that's what got us into the show in the, you know, uh, it the first is. place. So the entire tenement block where he's riding this horse empty. So you're like, uh, are they all afraid of this horse? Like, what's going on? <laughs> is it the devil's horse? Laundry blows in the wind. And then the younger Chinese guy who's wearing a Hamburg hat and uh, tits lady come running up to <laughs> Killian on the horse. Hamburg says, this is her. Killian asks, the girl who tells fortunes. And Hamburg and Tits go, dude, we rehearsed this. Like, yeah. So Killian gives the woman some money and she pours a red powder out from this little red bag. Uh, As we all know, red being a very auspicious color in the Chinese culture. Mm -hmm. That's literally all some of us know. (laughs) That something about the number eight, it's either good or bad. (laughs) That's super unhelpful. (laughs) So she whispers something in Chinese and then she blows the dust on the horse. And the horse is like, what the fuck? Yeah. As, the horse is not thrilled. Right. Like, you're, look, I'm not a horse, and if somebody blew dust <laughs> in my eyes, I'd definitely be pissed. I mean, it actually, the horse stood up to it rather well, considering, like, you would almost expect it to, you know, rear or mm-hmm. whatever it is horses do when they're upset. Anyway, some urchins uh, wonder if she's casting a spell so the horse will win a race. And it's like, thanks, urchins. <laughs> right. Spoiler I figured, alert. Yeah. My feeling is it's probably just like horse Adderall or whatever. <laughs> Horserol? <laughs> Hatterall? Does your horse have trouble concentrating? Addersteed? <laughs> Killian announces to the cowering members of this tenement uh, who, that the horse is called Monahan Boy, and he tells them all to bet on the horse, Camden, 3 o'clock. Yeah. So he has done that. Right. It's <laughs> all clearly part of his plan. So we get an announcement on the screen. Birmingham, 1919. A great year. Yeah. It's really my favorite number twice. <laughs> that's right. And uh, there's no more World War One. so... Yeah, that's a great year. Great year for everyone. Uh, so Killian rides off, and the song Red Right Hand by Nick Cave kicks in. Best theme <laughs> song ever. Yeah. And so just to clue you all in, this is the song you will have stuck in your head for the next 12 weeks, mm-hmm. should you follow along the show with us. Yeah, that's true. I can't think if there's any other show that has a better theme song than this. Like maybe like first season of The Wire, but it's like the like you know it's the same kind of thing, right? Right. It's that whole sparse, you know, atonal situation yeah. with someone who can't really sing. Yeah, but just has like a weirdly threatening voice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wait, I'm thinking of when they actually did Tom Waits, and I don't think he was the first. No, the first the one was that was the Alabama Blind Boys. Yeah, Alabama Blind Boys. Yeah. Um. There's that. I mean, it's actually, it's all, it's also like the Sopranos theme song is a similar type thing. Oh, I guess that's true. Thing. It's that yeah. whole ultraviolet, yeah. you know, prestige drama about a conflicted male protagonist type thing. Although actually this protagonist isn't conflicted at all. Mm. That's... Well, I mean, he's not, I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard to say. It seems like this, this show, Peaky Blinders, very much like Boardwalk Empire to the extent that we only watched the first two episodes of Boardwalk Empire. They have the Empire. same like wash and color palette. Yeah. And they're about, you know, criminals. Yeah. Organized criminal, criminals specifically. Not just, you know, your freelance uh, Walter Whites or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but at least in this episode, Killian Murphy does not seem at all conflicted to me. No, that's true. He's a very cool customer. Yeah, he's not, he's not conflicted. He's supposed to make the audience conflicted, except that doesn't really happen anymore. He's like, too attractive. We, yeah. And we all just assume the bad guys are, you know, the quote unquote bad guys are, you know, fine. Yeah. Well, you know, because the worser guys are worse. Well, right. We trust. <laughs> well, and yeah, we'll see some worser guys come along. Uh, but yeah, I think Red Right Hand, possibly my favorite theme song. I'm weirdly partial, not even that weirdly, to the Orphan Black thing, but that doesn't have any lyrics. So Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't feel that one as much as this one. All right. I'll keep pondering. Okay. Well, listeners, in the who meantime, we don't have a name for, incidentally. <laughs> that's right. That's another way we're manly and bare bones. Yeah, so listeners. <laughs> Listen do you, up. Do you have a favorite theme song? <laughs> if so, we want to hear your story. We do. Our email address is upyoursdownstairs at gmail.com. Yes. Good point. <laughs> and you can follow us on Twitter. We're at FamilyMeetingPB. So yeah, the song is playing, Killian's riding around, uh, a bunch of things are on fire in this neighborhood. There's like boats everywhere, like it's, uh, industrial, gritty, 
this is the a very gritty show mm-hmm. just in terms of there being actual grit all yeah. over the place. There's ash floating in the air all the time. Yeah. So yeah, there's uh, a guy preaching, a street preacher in his incomprehensible Birmingham uh, accent, which definitely, definitely a show for using subtitles, mm-hmm. everyone. Yeah, absolutely put those subtitles on. Yeah. Uh, and it is a, a black person is this street preacher. Yeah, so three minutes in, this show's already more diverse than five seasons of Downton Abbey combined. Yeah. We have already seen people deliver lines who are of three different races. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah, suck it. Downton Abbey. That's, Suck it, Baron Fellows. That's kind of our motto. Way to go to showrunner of Peaky Blinders, Stephen Knight. Yeah. Can we call him Steve Knight? <laughs> like Steve Holt? That's manly. Yeah, we could do that. Steve Knight! <laughs> uh, the preacher says that God doesn't care if you are rich or poor. So uh, that's good to hear on God's behalf. Yeah, I'm a big fan of God not caring about that. <laughs> Killian rides past a non-enchanted horse. Better luck next time, buddy. Yeah, he looks really kind of bummed, too. He does. He's got beautiful, like, forelocks and stuff, (laughs) but just not magic. Nobody ever hides from me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And everybody says hi to Killian as he goes by. He is clearly well-known. And uh, also, nobody seems to be attempting to put out any of these fires, so we assume they all have a purpose. Yeah, so it's the community fires. I don't know. Yeah. It's a very, well, and it's a very too, um, like, ostentatiously, like, uh, Hieronymus Bosch painting, like the Garden of Earthly Delights. Like, it's very allegorical. There's some actual, there's an actual blind person leading other blind people through the streets mm-hmm. at one point. So it's very much this scene of earthly torments going on that Killian is riding through. Yeah. So well, at least he's got that horse. <laughs> it's right. the devil's own horse. <laughs> so later, Killian has ditched the horse and everybody around is still saying what's up to him. So he's a very important person in this hellscape. Right. Including we, to police. Yes. They also greet him. Uh, so he enters a house with a crucifix and some nice wallpaper. And in the next room, a small boy throws a cigarette into the fire, but he fails mm-hmm. to actually make it in. We've all been there. Because <laughs> uh, we're men. Killian picks it up and is like, uh, seriously, small child? <laughs> and the kid says that Arthur is mad as hell. And then Killian wonders what a 10-year-old knows about hell. I'm like, has he ever stepped outside? <laughs> right. Cause he's, Lots of fire and brimstone you, happening. You, you seem to be raising him in hell. Yes. So. Although the house is very well appointed. Oh, yeah. So I can't complain about how they're raising him in the house. That's true. Although perhaps he should not be allowed to be uh, unsupervised and smoking. <laughs> so the kids... Kelly's he's, parenting tips. <laughs> look, I'm not here to cast judgment. <laughs> The kid says that he's 11 on Sunday. Uh, fuck you, kid. Nobody cares how old you are. <laughs> so the subtitles have listed Killian Murphy as Thomas, but we will call him Killian because we don't have good boundaries like men. Right. And I mean, you know, look at his eyelashes. Oh, my God. <laughs> God. And it's like he's only gotten more attractive as he's aged. Like, because he's still got a very young looking face. But you can, right. And I mean, the show is shot deliberately to make everybody look a little bit like haggard. Yeah. Um, and hard. But like, you can see like the, you know, the crow's feet around his eyes and just like, he's still as beautiful, but there's like a brittle quality to his face that just makes you be like, I want to trick you into having sex with me. Yeah. And this all despite his ridiculous haircut. Oh man. Their haircuts are so insane. Yeah. They actually have like basically the same haircut though on Orphan Black. Oh yeah. That's true. Yeah. Good the, point. the caster yeah, yeah. people. Um, you know, watch Orphan Black if you want to know what that's about. We're not going to belabor the point, but you know, it's, it's cut real high up on the sides and it's just this bizarro twenties haircut. Yeah. Yeah. That, that all of like everybody has the same haircut. Well, and we've never seen it on Downton Abbey. So it must be like a low class thing. I mean, it certainly looks low class. So Killian enters a smoky room. Uh, in this same house, but it's uh, a much different vibe there. There's uh, British dudes running a gambling operation, and fast boogie music is playing on the sound. I hope you like fast boogie music, everyone, because <laughs> you're going to hear a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, very contemporary soundtrack, or at least contemporary in the world of, you know, Steve Knight. <laughs> Steve Knight! <laughs> it's whatever he likes, and it's on the soundtrack. Uh, so people are betting on Monahan boy like crazy, as you might expect, considering you just got enchanted in front of everybody. Uh, but then this dude comes in and he's real pissed at Killian and he, uh, pulls him into his office, uh, asks him about Tits Lady's spell, says that, uh, the Chinese have their own cutters. 
I think that must mean bookies or I something. So. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so Killian reminds this guy, whose name is Arthur, that they had apparently agreed that Killian would be taking over and drumming up some new money. So Arthur asks, oh, yeah, well, what if Monaghan Boy wins and we have to pay out all these bets? Uh, and what is, he asks if Killian is fixing races now. I'll answer your question with another question. How stupid is Arthur? A question that, uh, spoiler alert, will be explored throughout the series. <laughs> <laughs> Never really fully answered. Uh, so Arthur wants to know if Killian's got permission from Billy Kimber to be fixing races. Uh, and how could they take on the Chinese and Billy Kimber? One day at a time, I suppose. Yeah, well, Killian seems to suppose the same thing. And Killian's response to all this is that he is in charge of thinking so that Arthur doesn't have to. So Killian's the scarecrow, Arthur's the cowardly lion, and that horse is the tin man? <laughs> is that how this is working? Yeah, that seems about yeah. right. Cool. Yeah. That smoking kid is Toto. <laughs> So Killian starts to head out as Arthur yells at them that he has news from Belfast and is calling a family council to deal with the trouble that's coming. Not a family meeting, which is the name of this podcast. Right. I don't think they say family meeting. Or do they? They do, do they in do? this episode, okay. yeah, but not till much later. Again, uh, Arthur is very stupid. Yeah. Uh, Killian, like so many of us, doesn't really give a shit about Belfast. No. So he heads out. Steam whistle! A train goes whizzing by, and then we smash cut to Sam Neill's <laughs> ridiculous mustache. There's a bunch of unnecessary manly cuts as he reads a file on Arthur Shelby, uh, who is the Arthur we just saw. Right. He then moves on to Killian's file, and uh, Arthur is listed as leader of the Peaky Blinders, question mark? <laughs> and both are suspected of armed robbery and racketeering. Uh, they're enterprising lads. Also, I'm not clear if that they were suspected of or had previously been convicted of. Yeah, we we didn't see the the heading on yeah. these boxes. Uh, we also saw that Killian had a medal because mm-hmm. it mentions their war records as well. They were both in the war, uh, and I also like it's listed as leader of the P blinders question mark because they're not sure. But I kind of feel like that's how Arthur himself would describe his position. <laughs> uh, I'm a leader of the Peaky Blinders. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> so yeah, they seem to have been keeping themselves busy. So we cut to a dude in a terrible hat walking through a crowd that is applauding, clearly something apart from his hat. Uh, <laughs> men shake his hand, and then he tells them all to shut up, and he launches into a strike-mongering speech. He asks all the, the veterans there, the World War One veterans, to raise their hands, and a bunch of them do, and he talks about, and you know, you were all serving your country in France, and I kept wanting one of them to raise their hand and be like, uh, sir, actually I was in the Navy, <laughs> the Mediterranean mostly. Pretty easy life, really. Uh, but who reaps the rewards of all their sacrifice? Is it you? You barely have enough to eat, etc. And they talk shit about all those fat cats who are taking all their money. Woo! Communism! Yeah. Uh, they've all gotten a cut in their wages, and so we asked for a show of hands supporting a strike. It's pretty much unanimous. I was going to say that they sure could have used this guy on Titanic Blood and Steel, uh, which for the uninitiated was a horrible show <laughs> that right. we watched for this podcast. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I forgot that in Belfast, you know, they've got the whole Catholic Protestant thing. Right. And that was really more the problem than, like people being poor yeah you know like they all agreed they were poor (laughs) right it's just that both groups were like the other people should continue to be poor whilst (laughs) we are not poor yeah cut back to sam neil and his mustache (laughs) and he looks at another file uh freddie thorne known communist agitator and bolshevik spelled with an o instead of an e no uh, presumably that's the guy we just saw, but it is hard to tell without his terrible hat. That's why he we wears it. It's a disguise. <laughs> Nobody can ever, ever see his face because they're too busy looking at the hat. <laughs> the train whistle shrieks as Sam Neill closes his eyes for a nap. I'm like, how are you relaxing with that train whistle? That's the only way I can sleep. So Killian enters some swinging double tavern doors to that fast boogie rock music uh, in the first of many shots that are... Well, We'll call it entourage-inspired. Yeah. Uh, you know, quite showy. Gratuitous badassery. Yeah. We love it, though. Like, oh, listen, yeah. even as we're calling this out, we want to make it perfectly clear that we love this. Like, oh, yeah. This is such an amazing change of pace from all of the, like, stuffy 
like period dramas that we do normally yeah. like we're just so happy to be watching a show where so many people get killed and are drunk all the time yes no it's where things happen that could be described both by their creators and the audience as awesome yeah <laughs> like exactly. we've gotten almost none of that like, in this all our makes years here Fat thomas's club look <laughs> like just you know kmart or something <laughs> yeah i'm not even sure that's the right discount big box store to name check here but <laughs> is it the manliest no come on that would have to be walmart right probably walmart sells guns and stuff I yeah think that, like, that's a good just point by by default makes them the, the manliest store yeah good call man when's the last time you were to walmart i've only been in walmart like three times my whole life oh wait i went to walmart to get my hair done for your brother's oh, wedding right yeah they've rebranded it's actually a lot more feminine now <laughs> sorry walmart <laughs> So Killian sidles on up to the bar and puts down a coin and smokes a cigarette. Uh, and then Terrible Hat now reveals that when he takes his hat off, he's got an even worse haircut. Yeah, it's pretty horrible. Yeah. So Hat Guy takes a drink, pays for it with one of Killian's coins. And the bartender is like, uh... Yeah, he doesn't know what to do. Uh, yeah. He's got, he's got problems. Yeah. The bartender was on Downton Abbey, by the way. He played the corrupt prison guard in Murder Prison. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I'm glad he's moved on to better things. Yeah. Although there's no guarantee that we won't be back in murder prison uh, next season of Downton Abbey. So we will That's all not the point. shudder to think of that. Focus on the badassery, Tom. <laughs> so Terrible Hat drinks to Killian's health and uh, then makes a joke about Killian's hat, which has razor blades sewn into the peaks and says that it's the crown of a prince. Or is it a king, he bets. Uh, so I guess he's up on the negotiations in the Peaky Blinders gang. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This guy sucks. He does suck. Like, we hate him. Yeah. Even Despite our proclivity to reflexively be pro-communist. I know. Like, he was introduced being a communist and starting a strike. You'd think we'd love this guy. But no, he is ugly and his hat sucks. <laughs> and also, he is just so mean. Yeah. He's not nice to anybody. Yeah, it's really true. So yeah, he says he bets that this is the hat of a king, but Killian points out that Terrible Hat doesn't bet, uh, which you would think would be annoying to a professional bookmaker. Yeah. However, uh, Terrible Hat does have info from the BSA, which is the, it's, I think it stands for British Small Arms, uh-huh. uh, but it's, it's... Was it not Bur- I think it's Birmingham Small y- oh, Arms. Yes, thank you. That's what I meant. Um, and it is apparently that place with all the fires in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently Winston Churchill is concerned about a robbery. Winston Churchill at this time being the home secretary, which, uh, doesn't have an exact American they equivalent. They actually call him the secretary of state in a later scene. Oh, okay. Which I think must be for the American version of this show. Possibly. Uh, but in any case includes, uh, law enforcement among its other, you know, areas of jurisdiction. And both... Terrible Hat and Killian have been listed as suspects, according to telegrams that people have seen. Terrible Hat wonders what the name of a communist and the name of a bookmaker are doing side by side. Killian has the best line here. Yeah. He says, perhaps it's a list of men who give false hope to the poor. Boom! Yeah. Team Killian. Oh my God. It's so great. Yeah. Uh, listen, the only thing we love more than a communist is a cynic. <laughs> and Killian Murphy's character in this show is so cynical. You very much. He is. is the most cynical. Yeah. He's an inspiration to us all, y'all. <laughs> he then follows up that line by saying that sometimes his horses win. Unlike communism. That's right. I mean, they tried. No. Well, well, and like terrible hats guy. Like we just won in Russia. That was like last year. Come on, dude. That's true. <laughs> Terrible Hat tells Killian that someday he wishes that he'd let that bullet in France uh, kill Killian. And Killian laughs and says that there are nights when he wishes the same. That's a little bit like Waka Waka. Like, I get it. I just... They try to build up the camaraderie between these two, and I do not buy it for a second. There's Uh, no... There's no shared sense of a past between them. Right. So suddenly a dude busts into the bar and busts all the tables up. He's having some kind of super on the nose flashback right now. <laughs> uh, terrible hat and Killian remind Danny, the guy's name is Danny, that he is a man, not a whiz bang, which is slang for a bomb. Right. Uh, Danny comes back to himself and apologizes and Killian just tells him he needs to stop having PTSD all over the place. Yeah. Uh, and the barkeep, Harry, tells Killian he's got to do something about Danny. 
Terrible Hat then starts being an asshat about how Harry pays a lot to the Peaky Blinders for protection. He's an ugly mansplainer, and I hate him. Yeah, like, dude, this is between Harry and Killian. Nobody really asked for your opinion, dude. Like, come the revolution when it's all community property, you can bitch about this, <laughs> but it's currently not. I want to start bitching now. Uh, anyway, but I absolutely would have dated Terrible Hat in high school. <laughs> no question. <laughs> <laughs> What? I, you know. I just like dating people who are obviously worse than me. <laughs> it's how I bolster my self-esteem. Well, I feel great. No, man. You broke the cycle. <laughs> I know, baby. That's why I married you. I know. I was like, oh, I'll never meet another decent human being again. And you haven't. I really haven't. <laughs> well, you did choose to go into comedy. <sighs> <laughs> Listen, Tom, comedy is very cool, and it's a totally respectable art form. Comedy is not cool. You all do the same job as Carrot Top, and you pretend that you don't. (laughs) Oh, no, my stuff's really dark. Whatever. (laughs) So is Carrot Top. Look at his face. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Terrible Hat suggests maybe they should put a bullet in Danny Wizbang's head, and also maybe his own. Like, Quit being such a bummer. And also, like, Danny Wisbing's problem is literally that he thinks somebody's going to put a bullet in his head. Right. So, like, maybe don't say that while he might still be in earshot. Yeah. Also, terrible hat, if, as I imagine, you don't want Killian Murphy to put a bullet in your head, maybe shut up once in a while, huh? Solid point. Killian considers killing him right then and there, actually, (laughs) uh, with his face. But he then just tells Harry to send the bill for all the repairs to the Peaky Blinders. Close up. On the bottom half of somebody wearing a black duster. Is it a badass? No, it's just Sam Neill. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's so badass. It's like a Stephen King character just with Sam Neill's head on it. Like, it's ridiculous. Are you just saying that because of In the Mouth of Madness? <laughs> no, actually. Do you read Sutter Kane? <laughs> anyway, Sam Neill, unlikely badass... Uh, stands at this train platform and stares kind of confusedly off into the distance. Yeah, he doesn't seem to know where he is, why he's there, why he has that mustache. I fell asleep on the train. Okay, so a guy that we saw before uh, when that boy was smoking. Right. Uh, he's now wearing a hat. <laughs> he walks out of an alley and a lady points a gun at his face. Whoa, He's not as surprised as you'd think. (laughs) Not as surprised as I would be, I'll tell you that. The woman who is dressed all in black tells him to look at the gun, which seems redundant. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Somebody somebody points a gun in my face. I'm not looking anywhere else unless they're like, don't look at this gun or I will shoot you. Like, those are your two options here. That's a really challenging request. She asks if he recognizes it and then wallops him and calls him a mumping pig, which I've not heard as a phrase before (laughs) and I adore. She says, Finn was playing with it near the cut that morning and nearly blew Ada's tits off. Wow. Uh, yeah, great. Yeah. I assume those are people we will meet at some point. <laughs> the mumping pig calls her Aunt Paul, so I guess that's who she is. <laughs> and, like, I can't tell if this show is, like, really great or really terrible at exposition. Yeah. You know, like, there's a, there's an art to exposition, and it's like, are they being deliberately artless or, like not right it's hard to tell one is particularly hard for us in this situation having seen the whole series several months ago and now like going back and looking at it in detail yeah we can't remember how we felt right exactly if we felt at all which is (laughs) improbable yeah we drink a lot (laughs) uh so mumper uh says it fell out of his pockets but paul says finn found it on the sideboard of the betting parlor uh, I would argue that perhaps this child shouldn't be allowed near the betting parlor either. But, yeah. Uh, Maybe that's where he picked up this Mumper, smoking habit. <laughs> Mumper says he was drunk and Paul says he's always drunk. Hey, like us that time. That's right. She knows it's hard to handle four kids all by himself with no woman around, but he needs to get his shit together. Incidentally, this guy looks about 15. Uh, yeah. Like, wow. He yeah. was busy. So then she says that they better go because they're late. So that little smoking kid. Which we presume is Finn. We're guessing. There I, haven't been any other kids. They're acting like we should know who Finn is. Yeah. So he is peering through a knothole at the promised family meeting, or family council, if you will. Arthur is holding forth about the news from Belfast. 
Uh, yeah, apparently two guys, members of the family, I guess, they uh, saw a copper handing out flyers that say, if you're over five feet and can fight, come to Birmingham. Uh, are were there a lot of people under five feet that like would have applied? Like I don't that's know, man. that's a pretty low bar. Look, and literally. people were shorter back then. Too, yeah, that's so true. Who knows what the deal was? Yeah, they're apparently sending in a bunch of Protestant specials. Or maybe that was their way of saying, you know, there's no age restriction. Uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so yeah, they're they're trying to clean up the city apparently, uh, according to Ada, who thankfully still has her tits. Yes. Uh, they they seem perfectly fine. Oh, they'll so be all... they'll be necessary later. <laughs> <laughs> this inspector in Belfast has spent the past four years there clearing out the IRA. So that's why I never hear about any trouble in Belfast after 1919. <laughs> it was this guy. It was Sam Neil's mustache <laughs> all by itself, and he's been assigned to do the same thing in Birmingham. Arthur wonders how Killian knows so much, and Killian says he asks the coppers on their payroll. And Arthur is a little bitch. Uh, about this is about most things, and Killian's like, what? Yeah, no, like, seriously, like, why even have cops on your payroll if you're not pumping them for information constantly? Right, I assume that's what you're paying them for. Good lord. Yeah. And Paul wants to know why they would be sending people now, and Killian says that they're probably after communists in the IRA, but also that this particular dude really hates Catholics. A mumper crows that they are an IRA and they fought for the king, so they should be fine. And besides, they're Peaky Blinders. They're Peaky Blinders! <laughs> I'm just going to do that this entire podcast. <laughs> That's fine. And they'll kill any coppers who comes around. The Peaky Blinders are basically like if a high school football team <laughs> was allowed to fucking kill people. And I yeah. love it. Which, I love it so much. Which in this country they haven't been allowed to do since the 50s. That's so. true. Yeah. <laughs> Killian asks if that's it, meeting-wise, and Paul says that the family does everything in the open, and does Killian have anything more to say? He says it's not women's business, but she says that this whole bloody enterprise was women's business while you boys were away at war. What's changed? Good question, Aunt Paul. Killian's answer? We came back. Which is basically the ending of A League of Their Own as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) What do you suggest we do? Send the boys returning from war back into the kitchen. <laughs> I was trying to make that funnier and it didn't work. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's okay. Sorry, guys. That was a mediocre joke on this mediocre podcast. <laughs> Vote. Family meeting. <laughs> uh, we cut to the street preacher who actually seems now to have like a Jamaican or like a West Indies accent. Yeah, now that yeah. we can actually hear what the fuck he's saying. Yeah. Uh, he's preaching that the Lord is going to judge the whole rotten city as Sam Neill's car rolls by. Sam Neill, uh, seems to approve this preacher's <laughs> message that everyone's wickedness and fornication will be revealed. Finally, somebody else is revealing fornication. <laughs> like, is the Lord planning to do anything about the city being on fire all the time? Because <laughs> that seems like a more pressing issue. Uh... Unless the fornicating and wickedness is what's causing it. We, it could be. I mean, maybe the Lord's plan is to increase the things being on fire. Yeah. That has historically been one of his go-to things. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. So anyway, Sam Neill rose through, you know, Beham Skid Row. Sure. Where people are just fornicating right out in the street and drunk, and they're throwing things at Sam Neill. And the cabbie then stops and says he won't go any further. And I'm like, gentrification! <laughs> this is this is how it starts. <laughs> Ever since the Whole Foods moved in, nobody ever fucks in public anymore. (laughs) Aunt Paul kneels in church, uh, praying a rosary. Turn up for the Sorrowful Mysteries! (laughs) And Killian walks in, and he is pissed. He likes the glorious mysteries best. Yeah, me too. They're funner. I don't know. I like the joyful mysteries, you know? Because they're like back at the beginning before like Jesus' life got super complicated. That's true. I just always liked Mary being crowned queen of heaven when I was a kid because I could picture like fancy jewels and stuff. Mm -hmm. He says that he has got 10 minutes and what does Aunt Paul want? And she says that she can always tell when he is hiding something. And she has found out about the rumors in the BSA factory through her uh, women's network. Mm -hmm. And Killian explains that during a routine motorcycle robbery, which, wow, what's your life like when you can say that phrase? Sounds exciting. (laughs) But... 
his men took robbed the wrong crate and wound up with a crate full of heavy-duty artillery guns, presumably because they were drunk on gin at the time. Yeah, there was a still in the factory they were robbing, so they drank <laughs> a bunch of that gin and then were like, all right, boys, let's finish up this robbery. <laughs> like, do the robbery first, then drink the gin. They uh, That's not how they roll in the Peaky Blinders. Like, first priority, gin. Yeah, the guns were apparently bound for Libya, and Aunt Paul says, tell me that you threw the guns in the cut. You know, the cut can't solve all your problems, guys. I keep hearing about it, and it seems like you're really leaning hard on the cut. They really are. It seems pretty central to their lifestyle. But Tommy says that they put the guns in the stables out to be out of the rain, as they had not yet been greased, and Aunt Paul starts kind of pointlessly hitting him. Mm Mm-hmm. She uh, then puts two and two together and realizes that the copper from Belfast must be there for these stolen guns. Killian's like, well, maybe they don't care. Uh, At this point, some dude happens to wander by. (laughs) And he acts like he hasn't heard this entire conversation. (laughs) Like, churches are actually a really bad place to have conversations because the acoustics are great. Yeah. And they're open to the public generally. Yeah. If you're in there. I'm assuming, you know, part of the point of having these tight meetings. But like, come on. Right. So Paul says that Killian should leave the guns where the coppers can find them so that they will know that they haven't fallen into the wrong hands. And Killian says that Charlie won't move contraband under a full moon. Which seems like a liability in a contraband supply chain. Yeah. Unless it's an issue about uh, the lighting. But the in context, it felt like he was saying like a superstition yeah. type thing. And it says it's going to be three more days before it wanes. Paul says that Killian has both his mother's common sense and his father's devilment, and she can see them fighting within him and asks him to let his mother win. So Paul then crosses herself and leaves as fast boogie rock music starts playing. Guitar mass! (laughs) Decades before it's time. (laughs) And Killian looks kind of flummoxed. Uh, And then we cut to Killian walking past a foundry, the thing on fire. Give it up for the BSA! The factory on fire! (laughs) We then cut to Ada dressed up and walking down some stairs under the bridge, and she's meeting terrible haircut! Boo! Boo. She says she's got tickets to the Penny Crush for a Tom Mix picture, and he says he doesn't want to go to the pictures, and she says she won't do it under the bridge again because she got covered in mud last time. Uh, all right. This is a great relationship, Ada. She suggests going down to Greet and hitting a pub. So Greet is like in South Beeham, right? It's a neighborhood of Birmingham, but I was not able to figure out how they all relate to each other geographically. At any rate, uh, Terrible Hat says that Killian has friends in Greet, and Ada says she's with Terrible Hat because he's the only man around who's not scared of them. But Terrible Hat says he's scared of them all right. Ada says he loves her more than he's scared of them. And Terrible Hat says they'll tell them soon. No, you won't. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody's ever going to tell anybody soon. No. If they wanted to tell them, they would have. If they don't want to, they'll put it off forever. Yeah. Like, listen, if you start a relationship in secret, that relationship will end in secret. Yeah. In general. Yeah. Or somebody's going to get shot. Right. I mean, both options are on the table here. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually true. He asks after the family meeting, and they discuss the new copper and his interest in the communists. Terrible Hat makes fun of Ada for being a bougie princess, which she obviously gets off on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, good luck keeping your aspirational let's not fuck in the mud white dress clean, Ada. Yeah. Like, listen, this guy... Oh, and you can see the whole the whole relationship like makes perfect sense and is awful. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, but like happens all the time. Ada re- weirdly reminds me of Daisy, and it's not so much in her face, just in sort of like her hair and her like tone. Yeah, her yeah. tone exactly. I like Ada though because she like looks like me a little. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I appreciate that. Even though her character annoys the shit out of me. Yeah, but again, she's just doing what you would have done as you stated earlier. I'm pretty sure I'm still doing it. (laughs) On every level. We see a lady walking through all the ashes of Birmingham, and we get a long tracking shot from behind her, so she's clearly going to be important. Uh, We don't see her face until she winds up at Harry's bar and asks him about a barmaid position. Harry asks if she's mad and then tells her that the job has been filled, but she does not believe him or take the hint that she should get the fuck out of there. 
He says that she is too nice and too pretty to work in his bar. She says that she has experience and references. Uh, she says that she's from Galway and worked in Dublin. He again says that she is too pretty. She's, you know. She's pretty. And yeah. he's just trying to be like, I'm trying to help you not get raped. Yeah. And like low-class criminal raped. Yeah, like, not like fancy throws some tuppence at your feet when he's done <laughs> Right. With his monocle and stuff. Yeah. Not that either one of those rapes is like, you know what? I'm going to say, no, low-class criminal rape, probably worse. Probably so, yes. Like, unless you get so high-class that it's like, you know, Hannibal Lecter or something like that. Like, <laughs> well, right. Yeah. Yeah. My tastes are very particular. <laughs> Singular? Singular. Were you trying to do Christian Grey? Yeah, but, yeah. you know, I didn't... Listen, uh, you didn't go see that movie with me, no, so... No, I didn't. It was great. <laughs> so, she tells Harry to watch and listen as she takes off her hat uh, and then starts singing some song and emptying spittoons, which... First off, she's really kind of half-assing emptying the spittoons. Yeah, and her singing also kind of half-assed. Yeah. We're not as impressed as she thinks we are. Yeah. Uh, this guy is like, what the fuck is going on in my bar? He's like, I was going to empty those spittoons. <laughs> it's my favorite job. <laughs> you ruined it. She says that in Ireland, her singing made them cry and stopped them fighting. Doubtful. Yeah. Uh, although, you know, TV didn't exist. Like, I guess that singing was fucking the best they could do. Yeah, it was like the basic cable of singing. <laughs> it was. You know, it's like A&E. Yeah, it's like Suits. <laughs> Harry says that he hopes she knows a lot of songs, uh, implying that apparently she's going to get the job and also that they have lots of fights. Harry, you're a pushover. <laughs> yes, he is. Sam Neill walks into a police dining slash billiard hall slash break room in a natty suit. <laughs> he launches into a speech about Skid Row and its many degradations, which honestly sound kind of exaggerated to yeah. me. Like, I saw Skid Row and like, yes, was there somebody having sex, but they both appear to be consenting adults. Yeah. No, he starts listing all these atrocities that are happening as, you know, fornication and people are killing other people and all this in the streets. And I wanted one of the raisins hands like, dude, I'm not caught up on Game of Thrones. Don't spoil me. <laughs> Uh, so then he starts talking shit about the Peaky Blinders, and it cannot be overstated. (laughs) We couldn't... (laughs) His accent is so fucked up. Yeah. It is messed up. It is not a Northern Irish accent somehow, even though he apparently, like, talked to Liam Neeson. Yeah, and and it's like... It's not even a bad accent. But it's like him... It's like his voice in the accent is like an ill-fitting suit. Yeah, it's just fascinating. Anyway, he says anyone who's taken bribes or orders from the Peaky Blinders are worse than the Peaky Blinders, which I don't think that's true, man. (laughs) Like, come on. People are just, you know, people are weak. Yeah. Money's great. That's why we keep having it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then he complains about the IRA and the communist. And I'm like, hey, one thread at a time, buddy. But he says they're a three-headed base. (laughs) And he doesn't trust any of you until they earn his trust. Right. He trots in his new Protestant crack team, and he says, God help those who stand in our way. (laughs) He does say that, yeah. So Arthur pushes through a queue at a movie house as St. James Infirmary Blues by the White Stripes plays. This show really has our number. It does. In terms of the soundtrack. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, He's accompanied by two ladies, and he tells them that you don't have to queue when you're with a Peaky Blinder. But you do have to give Arthur Shelby a blowjob in the theater. Yes. He says he wants a blowjob from both of them. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, do you mean to completion? Like, Yeah, that's true. Like, Well, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know what other people are capable of. Yeah, that's true. Uh, However, (laughs) the subject is moot, because (laughs) before either of them can even get started, a whole bunch of cops come in and beat the shit out of him so then sam nail comes into the random room they've thrown arthur into calling him the lead pack dog of the peaky blinders and sam neil punches him in the nose and then wipes the blood on arthur's hat making fun of the razors that are sewed into the cap which we may not have mentioned before because right. we see them in that first yeah, scene between yeah. terrible hat and killian yeah. there were too many hats <laughs> right. to deal with mentally so there's there's those sewn into the peaks right and this is the origin of the name 
Peaky blinders. Peaky blinders. Because they yes. would take off their hats and blind you with yeah. the razors in their hats. Yeah. Anyway. So surprisingly literal there. Uh, the other cops inventory Arthur's many confiscated weapons and Sam Neill speechifies that he's only interested in the truth and asks about the robbery. Sam Neill starts in on Arthur's fingers as my grip reflexively tightens on my microphone and yeah. Arthur insists that he doesn't know anything. And Sam Neill then breaks one of his fingers and says that he has psychic powers about whether criminals are lying. Arthur insists he's not lying, and Sam Neill says, duh, I just wanted to break your finger. <laughs> Samuel calls Arthur dumb and tells him he could kill his entire family if he wanted to, but on the other hand, they could help each other. Yeah. So, uh, he's jumping right in there with this new job. Mm-hmm. At Harry's bar, Grace asks if it's always this busy in the daytime, and uh, it is not. It is a tailgate party for a football game at St. Andrews, which is still the home ground of the Birmingham City Football Club. Go be him. Yeah, and the, the players are actually there. Harry points out some of them, uh, and they're just a year away from winning the Division Two title. So oh, this is a pretty, good for them. pretty well, solid football team. Well, there's a happy ending ahead for somebody. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it may not be anyone we care about, but no. by God. But these football players we never see—they're doing well. Killian sidles up and asks for rum, and he and Grace notice that both of them are pretty attractive. They're, in fact, the same kind of attractive uh, in such ways that we can assume there's going to be some sort of Sam and Diane thing happening here. <laughs> that's right. They're in a bar. Well, and he owns that bar. Yeah. I mean, essentially. Yeah, that's like, true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. No, it's a kind of a sweet deal. He owns it, except in the sense that he doesn't have to do any paperwork or file taxes or anything. God. I mean, look, I know there's a lot of other stuff involved in organized crime, but it just seems like a sweet fucking gig. Well, I mean, it's sweet for Killian Murphy, not so much for Arthur Brokenfinger. Uh... Right. So I'm saying I want that job. <laughs> I want the main job. Okay. I want the boss job. Uh, Arthur thinks he has that job, Kelly. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be that stupid, now would I? <laughs> anyway, Harry tells Grace that anything Killian wants is on the house. And she asks Killian if he wants white or dark rum. He don't care. He just wants to get drunk. He asks if she's a whore, because if she's not, she's in the wrong place. No, and it's so great, like, how matter-of-fact he is about it. Yeah. Because, look, if she had come in and tried to apply for the job and he'd been there, yeah. she never would have gotten it. And granted, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's in the business of micromanaging Harry's practices. Right, right. But, like, he never would have hired her. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like, that is how you nag, ladies and gentlemen. Like, God. Damn. See, I would have dated Terrible Hat, but I would have really been in love with Killian Murphy. Uh, yeah, well, we'll see how that works out for Grace. Okay. Presumably. We have this whole podcast. I don't see as we've got a choice. (laughs) So, yeah, Harry yells at her for taking money from Killian, which doesn't seem... Yeah, he just, like, put it there and then walked away. Like, yeah. there's nothing you'd do about it. And also, if Killian Murphy's playing you, paying you protection and then gives you extra money, like, it's all fucking going into the same, like, slush fund. Right. Uh, but he tells her that she should not be saying anything to any of the Shelbys because if they want her, there's nothing that Harry can do. Uh, but fortunately for Grace, Killian hasn't wanted any woman since he got back from the war. And Grace is like, what a challenge. I accept. <laughs> Which is also what I would have said. <laughs> Arthur, still all bloody, is being tended to by Ada, Paul, and Mumper. Mumper's real name is John. Yeah. I don't know if that's ever come up. Hard to say. But we're just letting you know, <laughs> listeners. Manly listeners. That's right. right. Uh, Ada claims to be a trained nurse. She actually is not. She went to like one Red Cross meeting. <laughs> and everybody makes fun of her because she's the Zoidberg. <laughs> she's the Zoidberg of the Shelbys. <laughs> Killian comes in with the rum and pitches in on the cleanup. And Arthur repeats Sam Neill's appointment by Churchill and his offer to work with them. Arthur says they'll take a vote on whether to help Sam Neill. And Killian is annoyed that he was not Sam Neill's first choice to rough up. And Arthur and Paul agree that Killian is mentally ill in an annoying way. (laughs) Family. You can't live with them. You do have the option of moving 2,000 miles away. You do. We recommend it. Don't ever let anyone tell you you don't. (laughs) So Grace sings... As Ada rushes off somewhere smoking a cigarette, Grace thinks that she is hot shit, but uh, she is not that great. She's really not that great. Yeah. So uh, this is at the bar, by the way. So the men all join in on the chorus of The Boy I Love is Up in the Gallery. Which, they sang that on Downton Abbey at some point, didn't they? Possibly, yeah. I mean, it no, sounded... No, maybe I'm 
confusing with that, like, if I were the only girl in the world, right. or the only boy. Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't know. All those fucking music hall songs sound exactly the same to me. Yeah, agreed. It's... Because I was thinking almost, did they do it in even Mr. Selfridge at one of those shows? But I don't know. I don't know. It's yeah. hard to say. Anyway. anyway, it's just some music hall bullshit. Uh, but anyway, when Killian walks in the bar, everybody stops singing, uh, except for Grace. She finishes out the song, and then, like, nobody claps, and she's all like, meh. Like, you know, they don't want to get killed, Grace. What a maroon. Yeah. Like, you know this is, like, a messed up bar. Like, <laughs> she keeps expecting it to not... It's like it's like Alice in Wonderland. You know? <laughs> Alice keeps being like, goodness! <laughs> I suppose I should be taking orders from Dinah, Nix. Yes. Like, the rules don't apply here, Grace. Get used to it. Yeah. So Harry lamely explains that they haven't had singing there since the war. Killian asks Harry why he thinks that is. So then we cut to Ada and Terrible Hat in bed, finishing what looks like a pretty lackluster bout of lovemaking. Yeah. Yeah, like, kind of rolls off, and I just, like, Ada's like, eh, that sex wasn't as disappointing as usual. (laughs) So... Terrible Hat lights a cigarette and asks about the family meeting. Ada snatches the cigarette and complains that he is only interested in politics. And then they have the boringest conversation ever. Yeah. And I mean, look, she's right. Like, he is basically, to my mind, only fucking her to get information from her about the family. Yeah. And she is therefore betraying the family by supplying it to him. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they're getting out of this. Right. Cause again, that sex did not look cool. No, it didn't. Well, she's like, I'm only dating you because, you know, everybody else is afraid of them. It's like, well, also, like, use that to your advantage. But like, if you don't date me, my brothers will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but she's just super, like, ugh. She's very contrarian. Yeah. Like, not in a fun way. No. Uh, close ups on opium! Oh my god. Black tar! Texas tea. <laughs> Killian is the one doing opium with a really elaborate pipe set up in an opium den, uh, which is a pretty nice opium den, actually. Like, there's yeah. a bed and a window and everything. Yeah. Uh, so he conks out. A and girl with milk in her tits down the road. Yeah, yeah. you know, whatever you want. <laughs> he conks out and it's flashback time. Uh-oh. Some dudes are in a tunnel. It's a uh, terrible hat and Killian and Danny Whizbang. And Killian then wakes up gasping. And I'm like, you better get your money back, dude. Because yeah. I thought you were smoking that opium to not think about that. <laughs> right. Yeah, but apparently he was a, a miner mm-hmm. uh, and working in tunnels, which by all accounts was one of the worst jobs, even by the standards of trench warfare. Yeah. was awful. So he then looks out the rainy window and sees some coppers copping around, mm-hmm. and he lies back down. Yeah. Uh, Danny Whizbang is having a panic attack in Little Italy, which, if prone to flashbacks, Avoid mafia territory. Yeah, don't go there, That's, man. I mean, avoid mafia territory in general, mm. but I mean, granted, sometimes you want some pasta, whatever. God, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he then, so a cafe owner is like, hey, stop uh, having a breakdown in front of my cafe. Which nobody's at anyway. Right. Uh, and when he does not, he busts out a switchblade to threaten Danny. Uh, Danny mistakes that for a bayonet and seizes it and stabs him with it. He then runs off, and some onlooking Italians wearing nice suits look quite put out. <laughs> At the train station, Sam kneels in a ridiculous hat and gets frisked. And yeah, he's introduced to the Secretary of State, not the Home Secretary. Okay, yeah. Because I guess we can't be trusted. <laughs> uh, anyway, he cannot possibly be Winston Churchill because he looks the least like Winston Churchill of anyone on this show, including most of the women. Aunt Polly, no. Ada, Tit Lady. <laughs> Winston Churchill's like, how come you haven't done your mission yet? And Sam Neill's like, I've been down in the mines one day. (laughs) So Winston Churchill starts blabbing about Belfast and wonders who stole the guns. They seem to not suspect the Peaky Blinders. Like, they say common criminals. Right. I don't know. It's unclear. Yeah. Well, they both, they both seem to think it's much more likely that the communist or the IRA stole them, which makes sense uh, because, you know, no criminal outfit really needs heavy grade artillery. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, if you're not going up against soldiers, you mm-hmm. don't need that much. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Winston Churchill tells Sam Neill that his Bush League Irish tactics aren't going <laughs> to fly in Birmingham, which is the real, you know, the real UK. <laughs> so he better not get caught killing people. He's like, I don't care if you kill people. Right. But, like, keep it away. Like, I just, I can't know about it. Yeah, it's like, I know you b- killed a bunch of people in Belfast. Yeah. Fine. Thumbs up. That's why you got a promotion. But- <laughs> 
So we see a guy, and this is the aforementioned Charlie, nailing up some crates. Killian says he wants a word with him. Charlie says that he can move the guns now since there's no moon and leave them out to be found. But Killian has decided that they are keeping the guns. We're as excited as a million checkoffs, guys. <laughs> uh, Uncle Charlie, uh, he's not thrilled, but Killian, like Grace, enjoys a challenge. He, uh, and <laughs> he's finally acknowledging that the cut can't solve all their problems. <laughs> Uh, and then Killian also is not particularly concerned about this copper because he did not serve in the war. Uh, and I think it's here he says some, somebody says something about this cop not taking any prisoners. And Killian is like, yeah, I was in a war where we actually took no prisoners. Yeah. We didn't just use it as a metaphor for being, like, tough on crime. Yeah. Well, but I think that's Charlie's implication is yeah. that this guy kills people. Well, that, so. yeah. Which is true. Anyway, Killian tells charlie to take the guns to the tobacco wharf by order of the peaky blinders by order of the peaky blinders yeah which is the thing they say yeah sam neil climbs some fancy stairs looking not at all suspicious <laughs> he walks through a museum looking at some classical busts and he asks are you in position as motherfucking grace steps out what grace steps out man yeah. she's a spy she is a she's spy. a bougie spy <laughs> she is she just got a lot more interesting yeah because before she just seemed like an insane person <laughs> <laughs> now you're like oh okay she says she's quite shocked at the way these people live and i'm like that's actually a pretty nice bar <laughs> like as like you know organized crime owned bars go like it seemed like harry runs a tight ship <laughs> anyway uh i mean you know presumably she's also living in the neighborhood somewhere but right well and walking past the fornicators every yeah. day she informs sam neil that it's killian not arthur who runs things he won two medals in the war for gallantry and, and a third for attractiveness <laughs> Sam Neill says she sounds fascinated. <laughs> she thinks that the IRA, not the communists or the Peaky Blinders, stole the guns based on basically no information, <laughs> right. might I add. Yeah, for real. Like, she wasn't even there when Killian and Terrible Hat were talking. Like, what the fuck does she know? Yeah. Uh, Sam Neill tells her not to let her personal history cloud her judgment. She then clunkily exposits that just because her dad was killed by the IRA doesn't mean she's biased. Okay, jury's in bad at exposition well this is certainly the low point exposition wise in this episode i think uh anyway regardless sam neil tells her that her dad was like the finest you know field agent he's ever known and that he'd be very proud of her and she looks conflicted for some reason yeah also if your dad was killed by the ara i, I mean i think that means you're biased yeah. i think you should be that was your I dad you probably like, shouldn't be a spy then like well. if it's okay like they should recuse you from that <laughs> right uh, we see the two Italians standing on one side of the canal, looking expectant. Uh, and then Killian walks up with Danny Wizbang, explaining that he has agreed to kill him in order to save him from Italian barbarity and to stop a war breaking out. He says that they would, you know, if the Italians did it, they would, like, torture him to death. Um, and it's actually, I mean, it's really... This is a legitimately affecting scene. Yeah. Like, it's mostly very, you know, flash and, like, badass. But, like, this is, like, a genuinely yeah. heartfelt and well-done scene. Yeah. He says that Danny Wisbang or Danny Wisbang says that it's fine because he died in France anyway. He asks that Killian look out for his Rosie and his boys and to get them ordinary jobs, not to live a life of crime. And uh, he begins to cry. We also cry, but like men. Yeah. We're being very tough, guys. That's right. It's a tough podcast for tough people <laughs> in the 18 to 34-year-old male demographic. <laughs> we don't need any characters around to get the joint atmosphere. <laughs> Danny Wisbang says that he supposes he ought to pray, but the guns in France, they blew God right out of his head. Uh, a barge approaches. He asks if it's for him. And Killian reminds him that with this new copper around, they have to get his body out of the city. Danny Wisbang says not to bury him anywhere that there's mud and to tell Rosie where it is that he's buried. Killian tells him that he was a good man and a good soldier. Danny Wisbang calls Killian Sergeant Major and sniffles a bit and then turns to face the boat. Killian points his gun at Danny's head and says, in the bleak midwinter, and shoots him. A spray of blood splashes his face, and the boat idles along. And the Italians nod at each other and walk off. Killian bursts back into the bedding parlor, and Arthur screams that Monaghan boy won. Killian reveals his strategy to get everyone to bet on the magic horse until it finally loses, and he's basically a marketing genius. Yeah. Uh, Arthur does not recognize this and sulkily drinks from a bottle. Yeah. 
maybe Arthur, like, several times in this episode, Arthur seems to be like, I know, I'll reinforce my authority by drinking from a flask during this business meeting. <laughs> in a tunnel under the city, Uncle Charlie explains to the not-at-all-dead Danny <gasps> Wisbang. Hey! <laughs> yeah. That Funsies! He, <laughs> he was shot with a shell full of sheep guts so that it would look real to the Italians, and also that they did not tell Danny Wisbang in advance because they wanted it to look real. Uh, which seems like a risk to me, but you know, because like, like, what if, like, what if Danny like is just like, you know, ow or something like? I, yeah, I don't know. But in any, I, look, I don't I, know what the physics were behind it. Well, you have to figure anything coming out of a gun is going to have pretty oh yeah blunt force. Yeah, I mean, it worked anyway. I mean, he could have said ow when he got shot, you know, regularly anyway. True, that's true. I don't know how getting shot works. No, though. me neither. Charlie tells Danny that he is going to London on a special job and that he is a Peaky Blinder now, which apparently he... I thought he was before. Yeah. I thought that was his point about his kids not doing all their shit, but I don't know. Yeah, anyway. Aunt Paul asks Killian what he did about the guns. Uh, Killian informs Aunt Paul that he did the right thing. Yeah. She will probably disagree. <laughs> which is what he promised to do earlier. And it was like, come on, Aunt Paul. Like, you know that when he says that, he means whatever the fuck he feels like. Yeah. And uh, then Grace spots Killian walking and lighting a cigarette. He's so alone and sexy. <laughs> it's true. And that's the end of episode one mm-hmm. of Peaky Blinders. Yeah. It's a whiz-bang of a time. It is, we yes. you'll agree. Uh, yeah, so a lot of fun things in place. People uh, dying and not dying. Somebody's a spy, mm-hmm. which is fun. That is always fun. Yeah, a sexy spy. Mm-hmm. Who can sing, kind of. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so uh, tune in next time for the next episode of Family Meeting by Order of the Pinky Blinders! <laughs>